0: Heart of the Matter, and uh, we're in Salt Lake City. I'm Sean McCraney. Tonight, our show is called Abundant Living. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we love you and need you, seek you in all things. Pray your spirit will be with us, the spirit of truth. The Stupid things I say which are wrong, you will uh, forgive, erase from our memory, but uh, the things that are right and true by your spirit will remember and recall, help us to be better Christians, help us to learn to love you, love our neighbors, and walk in faith. And so be with those who are going to be with us tonight on the show, and and uh, anything else, our staff, our volunteers, and the transmission of this to our archives and the live audience. Love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, self-directing, uh, Seth, uh, we have something different going on tonight you can begin our resident in-house musician brother steve utley is with us steve is the uh owner of uh, guitar dynamics here in town a lover of the lord jesus christ longtime christian and follower uh each week on our show christianarchy today steve opens up with an original tune And we'll shortly be coming out with an album. In fact, I'm going to tell you about that as soon as he's done. But we wanted to rip open tonight's show for a reason, which we'll discuss momentarily. But for right now, Brother Steve Utley, give us something from your hurting hands. (laughs) listen, Steve is coming out with his own live album tonight. Is that correct? Yes, midnight. Midnight tonight. And right now, can we see the graphic? This is how you can get it. Uh, also, you'll be able to get it later on through uh,
1: iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, anything.
0: How many tracks on the Thir- album? 13. 13 tracks. Is that, is, is uh, Doxology on it's there? It's
1: not. That was just for tonight because of the request.
0: Just uh, We had a request last week for Doxology, so that's why we did it. But uh, excellent work. Thank Look you. forward to that album Listen, uh, we have in-house guests I just want to introduce really quickly. Brother Zach, come on up. Zach is here with his wife, Brittany and his son Apollos, but they are busy not wanting to be here. This guy's a giant. Uh, he's thin too. I hate when the tall, thin ones stand next to me. It looks like the bowling ball and the bowling pin. Uh, but in any case, uh, thanks for being yeah, on the thanks show.. For having me. Tell us about yourself. What you've been doing?
1: Uh, my name is Zach Adams. Like uh, like he said, I, my wife is Brittany, and I have a son, Apollo. He's eighteen months old. With one on the way, a girl. We just found out. So oh! We're excited. Congratulations! And um, yeah, I just got done with seminary school at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. and I finished my MDiv there and did really well. Was a valedictorian. Won the Whoa. biblical scholar award. Yeah. So God really had His hand in all that. And. While we were there, we, my wife and I, really talked about our calling and and what you know what we were going to do together, and we felt called to ministry in Spain. And we went out three years ago uh, to the International Church of Barcelona, and hit it off with the pastors there. And so they invited me to be an associate pastor there, wow. uh, and I'll be shadowing him, John Carano, the who works out there, and uh, just doing my best to serve the Lord.
0: Wow. Uh, T- your college you, we were talking about this before the show and this is really important i'm sure if zach and i sat down and had a conversation uh we probably would disagree on a lot of things but uh here's the here's the key this is like i like having guys like this on the show is because we aren't divided on uh on the minors we major in the majors and the major is christ jesus as lord and savior he's going out to barcelona spain to share jesus with his wife and son and now daughter and uh we just pray god's blessings upon you we're really grateful you came and and uh got up on the stage with us i have a question for you sure you have 30 seconds you've been you've got your mdiv you've studied the bible like a banshee better in hebrew or greek
1: Uh, Greek Greek,
0: (laughs) and uh, so he he knows the Greek I mean he's reading it all he's got it down with all of that knowledge all that experience 30 seconds what would you share with the audience
1: well the more you know the less you know Uh, seminary was very humbling for me but one thing that was important for me in seminary was to discover what calling meant and I think after a lot of study and prayer that calling is where your passions intersect with your skills along with various signs that God will put into your life, especially through the influence of people and their advice to you. And so make sure when you're in college, that was always my angst. What does God want me to do? And I don't think that you're a Pac-Man trying to follow the dots that God has lined up for you. He gives you a lot of freedom in his boundaries that Mm he set up for you. Um, But there's a lot of freedom in that. And so where your passions intersect with your skills is a lot of times where you should go.
0: Awesome. That message intrinsically sounds like it is to those who are of younger heart.
1: Yeah. Who maybe feel
0: lost. That's maybe the automatic direction you have on you to reach those Definitely. millennials.
1: Yeah, the Generation Nini in Spain from the Spanish phrase, ni estudian, ni trabajan, which means they neither study nor work. Um, <laughs> they, it comes from their socialistic economy, which re- really bogs down their economy. And the unemployment rate is 43% for ages 18 to 30 in Spain. So... They sit on the streets, and they smoke pot, and they look at their phones, and they skateboard, and that's their whole life purpose. But
0: I asked you not to talk about my family when you got up here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just but, it. you know,
1: those things wear out eventually and giving you joy because Christ is the only thing that really fulfills us and fills that God-shaped hole in our hearts. So we want to bring that hope and purpose and identity in Christ to the Spaniards uh, and internationals in Barcelona. So
0: excited for you. God bless you, my brother. Thank you so Thanks. much for having me. Thanks for being on. Yeah. All right, Zach. Hey listen, we had uh, Steve open the show up tonight because of his style, which I love, love that style. Other people hate it. It doesn't uh, possess what we would call holy music. Uh, is there such a thing as holy music on this earth? Is there such a thing as Christian music? And I just want you to think about this. Is Christian music, music made by Christians? Or is Christian music, music that speaks of Christian themes? I I, I want to know. The debate rages on and on. If Christ has had the victory, perhaps we might see all music as uh, being Christian music. Just think about that. Uh, I would suggest that things like heavy music or art films and other elements of our modern world are uh, often typecast as not being of God. When we're Christians, we say, oh, that movie's not uh, it's not of God, it's not, this isn't of God, this isn't of God, and, and uh, I think it's because we've adopted an antiquated model in the faith. I think we have an antiquated model that we have adopted without thinking, and so I'm going to try to talk to you about another model tonight, and I, hopefully you can see what I'm trying to say. If you listen carefully through what we're talking about, you'll see how the premise of this model unfolds through the experience I had in finding it. So, most of you know I uh, uh, have an artist temperament. I have art, artistic inclinations and love art and dabble in the art. So, those guys in the back have to be uh, quiet. They can hear through the camera. But because of this, I will at times look at art from different periods and try to understand uh, what's happening with art, okay? So, I was looking at some Dutch art. And I don't, I don't like Dutch art, or Belgian art, very much because the they draw their faces way back in the day very narrow and pinched, and it's always bugged me to see that. And uh, so, but I came upon a well-known painting. It's by a Dutch artist named uh, Hieronymus uh, Bosch. Hieronymus Bosch. And when I saw Hieronymus Bosch's painting, 1400s, I recognized that I had seen it before, and I really liked it. Now, this isn't a Christian painting, but it has some Christian themes. Uh, it's entitled, In the Garden of Earthly Delights. And so I examined the piece, and I, I read up on it, and I discovered I appreciated it even more. In the art world, this piece called, In the Art of Earthly, in the Garden of Earthly Delights, it's called a triptych. And what it means, I'll draw the triptych on the board in a second. That just means three parts. Okay, so it's a part here, we have a center part, we have another part here. That's a triptych. One, one work, but it's three separate uh, depictions. And in the Garden of Earthly Delights, uh, if you're looking at it like this, this far left side is the Garden of Eden depicted. And then in the middle of it, you have the world depicted. And then in the far right, you have judgment and hell depicted and i'll put that up on the board in a minute so that was a segment of 10 minutes of my life looking at the garden of earthly delights by Hieronymus bosch and thinking that's really cool i like it onward so my wife was working one night and i turned on youtube and i looked up a video called until it sleeps by the band metallica and the band metallica the song until it sleeps is one of my favorite songs but because of its lyrics and its music, and because the lyrics speak to me personally of how bad I am in my flesh. I, it just does. And, and so the, I, I, I turn on this video until it sleeps, and what do I see? I see the video surrounded by the imagery of Eranimous uh, Bosch. That it's being played out through the videographer made the, the direction and the scenes all about Irano spots in the Garden of Earthly Delights. So I'm like, wow, this is really trippy. So a couple days pass, and mid sleep, it comes to me the triptych. Now you might think this guy's insane. I'm just telling you how it came about through things that are non Christian in the art world. I have this realization garnered from all these seemingly disparate parts of my experience over the week. I've got this painting, I've got Dutch art, I've got Hieronymus Bosch, I've got Metallica, a song I've loved for 20 years that I think is great. Suddenly they have a, not suddenly, suddenly I discovered this video of Hieronymus Bosch's work in it. What is, what's going on here? So in my religious life, sharing this experience, people would say that's evil, that Satan is speaking to you. that's, That's an inspiration from the dark side. But I've learned in the age of fulfillment. I've learned in the age of fulfillment where God has had the victory over all things. That's what I preach. That all things are used by him to reach and teach and draw and serve people to bring them to him. All things. There is no this music is evil and this music is Christian. Uh, just because there's angelic people singing in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir does not mean that that music is superior to Faith Hill, whatever. Uh, I'm just saying we box ourselves in because we take the triptych and we apply it to ourselves. So let me see if I can explain this. Okay, and I think you'll find this actually beneficial to you if you are fulfillment. Okay. The triptych, as I said, looks like this. It's three parts. And in the first part, we have Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. And then we have a bunch of little nude figures. They aren't doing anything erotic, but they're all nude. And there's all these buildings. And this is called the world. And then in the far one, we have Hieronymus Bosch's depiction of hell or judgment. And that's the full uh, work right there. 1400s, it was drawn. Let me just put the devil. Those are horns, fangs, <laughs> eyes. Pitchfork. Okay? So, Hieronymus Bosch in the Garden of Earthly Delights. Is saying, you know, I want to depict the Garden of Eden. It's a beautiful picture of Adam and Eve standing in this beautiful place. And then the world is a picture of these nude, little nude creatures, humans, enjoying themselves in the world. But then follows hell and judgment. I want you to try to, to look at some things about this. First of all, I want you to notice that the start of everything is good. That everything was good. In fact, when you go to um, Genesis, God creates and he says, and he saw it was good. And he saw it was good. And he saw it was good. Six times he says, and he saw it was good. Okay? So we start off with everything Garden of Eden being good. All right? Then we know that sin came in and, and there was a fall and things stopped being good. And then we see human beings entering into the fallen world, which is depicted in the center theme. And uh, you, you, we see a, a, a digression, if you would. They go from the garden to the world. There's a, there's a downward decline. Steady decline to what? Well, the next phase is sheol or hell and judgment. And so we go from good to bad in Aranias Bosch's. Painting of the 1400s. This is, the, the operative word, if you want, is obey in this, the law. So obey law and if you don't, repent. And this model is obey if you don't repent and if you don't repent, you will go to hell, all right? Now, what we've done as Christians, and it makes sense that we would do this if we aren't fulfillment people, is we have said, Christ comes, and he does his gig, and then we have taken Hieronymus Bosch's triptych, and we've repeated it. We say, well, we got Jesus, he gave us a Garden of Eden state, Eve is taller than Adam in this one. And we enter into this world. And if we don't obey, and if we don't repent, then we will go to hell. And we simply take this thing, Christ is in here, and we just stick it here again. And this is called our faith today. This is this is the same picture we give. He comes and he does what he does, and we say, "Well, that's fine, but nothing has really changed." You're, you're you're gonna we still are going to be have the Adam the second Adam. We're gonna have him come and he's gonna fulfill and fix everything from the first Adam. But people are still going to go, and they're going to choose how they're going to live their life in the world. And if they don't obey and repent, they're going to end up in the same place that Bosch uh, painted. Okay? Jesus is called in Scripture the Redeemer. He redeemed. He's called in Scripture the second Adam. Adam who overcame. We have to ask ourselves, has he had the victory or not? I ask pastors this all the time. Did Christ have the victory? Yes, no. They say yes first, and then you say, he had the victory. Well, yes, he did. So is Satan still roaring about, and is Satan still taking people captive and putting them in hell? Well, yes, he is. So Satan, Jesus hasn't had the victory yet. Well, it's not complete yet. So for 2,000 years, Satan has been winning souls to hell. Jesus has not had the victory yet. We're waiting for the time for him to return when the victory is complete. And in the meantime, we're still living through this Old Testament law given. got to obey it or you've got to repent. And if you don't, you're going to go through the same uh Hieronymus Bosch's painting. Right? So, all things overcome. If you read scripture, you find out at his return that Satan and hell are cast into the lake of fire, that everything that's shakable would not remain, it would be shaken to the dust, so the only things that could remain are those things that can't be shaken, that we find that because of Christ, God will write his laws upon our minds and upon our hearts that no man will tell his neighbor, know the Lord, know the Lord, for all will know uh, know him. We have all these pictures and, and instructions of what it will be like once Jesus has had the victory and once he returns, and so if you're a fulfillment person and you believe that he has, in the preterist sense, fulfilled things, there's no reason that we should have this model back in place. And that's what came to me when I, when I was thinking that, that morning, wait a second, there's a switch here. There's something that we have missed. And I'm not trying to come up with anything new, I just don't think that we have seen it rightly. I want you to understand this. Jesus is called the Alpha and the Omega. He's called a teacher, a a testator of the new covenant. He's called the way, the truth, the life. He's called the wisdom of God. He's called the word of life. He's called the hope. He's called the chosen one, the horn of salvation, the indescribable gift, the consolation of Israel, the deliverer. The life, the source of God's creation, the spiritual rock, the prince of peace, the ransom, the redeemer, the light of the world, the Lord of peace, the morning star, the power and wisdom of God, the resurrection and the life, the rising sun, all of those things Jesus is called, we call him the one who's had the victory, we say, he says, it is finished, and yet we take the model and we stick it back upon ourselves. So, what I want to suggest to you is that the model is still there. Where's my eraser? Patrick, did you take it again? (laughs) Just kidding. Why wouldn't it look like this? That we are still born in hell. We come into this world with all of our DNA and our proclivities and everything else. That doesn't change. We, we come into this world with birth defects and we come into this world with bad parents and we come into this world with poverty. And so we enter into the world, even though Christ has come still materially, we enter into a world of hell. You hit your hand with a hammer, it hurts like crazy, you cry, that pain is hell. People always want to know the atheists, well, this is hell, I mean, what kind of world is this? Well, he, he doesn't overcome the effects, the original effects of the fall, but he did full, overcome it all spiritually. So we enter into this world, starting but the place we left off, except we reverse the triptych. So we start with hell, and then we enter into this world, and while we're in it, we learn what do we want, and we learn love. We understand that it is love, not law. And we don't live under the obey and repent. We live under the law. I mean, we live under the love. You see, not <laughs> right, sorry, Freudian slip. And so we start at death, and we instead of starting good and moving toward death and hell, because of Christ, we still start materially and physically in the hell, but we move through to the point where the second Adam gives us redemption, that we go back to the Garden of Eden, that this is God's plan. It's reconciliationism, that he is reconciling through Christ Jesus the world to himself. He did it reconcile, and that's why Christ has had the victory. So instead of just taking this model and sticking it and taking this model and sticking it, we enter into the new world because Christ has given us the the new world by his shed blood. I believe completely in that total victory. I don't think that there is any one, any person, any spiritual being, Satan, I don't think there's any power that can beat him. I think he has won. And because he has won, He doesn't take away the setup that we've given to ourselves, but he does spiritually. And he's calling to all, through the world and its its fallen ways, to finally get to the point of redemption. So, under the law, the call was to repent. Under the other side of the cross, the call is to believe. the The first call is repent. You've got to obey. You have the law. You're the Jews. You're the nation of Israel. So under that, under that, yes, and guess what the law leads you to? Hell. And that's where everybody went. Abraham, too, he went to the paradise part of it, but that's where he went until Christ came. Second Adam comes, and he restores everything back to its paradisical state. That's the ultimate end. I would suggest you think about it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that I'm absolutely correct in this. But I'm saying I think it deserves some thought. You see, over here, it was tribal. Tribal. And it was hierarchical, and it was—it's uh, just like in philosophy. There, there were all the way through the history of philosophy. Everyone's trying to come up with the—the the only philosophy to work. This was the old, This was the singular only way. The law. It's like we have the right philosophy. I'm Kant. I'm I'm uh, Camo. I'm whoever. Right. This is the right philosophy. But then you come along, and someone comes up and says, No, 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 no. There. There's, uh, there's the Hegelian uh, uh, a dialectic, and one philosophy works off another, and another philosophy works off this, and it's building and it's growing within them. And so one philosophy isn't right. They're all working together, and that's when we step over here. And that's when things start to become just not Christian. God has his hand in it. We walk about and we say, we use the rhetoric, God has the control. It's in God's hands and all these things. Yeah, and, and do we have free will or not? But he is using everything because he loved the world so much he gave his son. And so he's pulling on everything. We don't have to, as Christians, in other words, live under a law, screaming for people to repent. We tell them believe. And when they believe, they will change because they're loved. They will change because they experience his love and our love. That's what causes people to say No. That's what causes people to repent. It's not the law. The law never worked. It sent people to this. All right? So this was insular. This was fearful. This said, oh, no, you don't associate with anybody else. they got to be circumcised and washed and embrace our covenants and embrace our laws in order to be part of us over on this side under the law. And if they don't obey and they don't repent, they're going to go to hell. But over here, that's not how it is within the body. We love, and it's that love that brings people in. We don't have to fear anymore, because he's had the victory. I would suggest that this is the Freud side, where, you know, the the generations of the sins of the father carry on for this and this and this and this, and this is the Jungian side. This is the side where everything is kind of collective, working in to bring people out. That's why we have Muslims who are coming to Christ and don't know his name. That's why we have missional efforts that are extreme. That's why we have Steve up here shredding up doxology like Jimi Hendrix and me telling you that I think it's worship music. I'm not saying that there isn't a time and place for for, um, orthodoxy. Uh, Definitely we teach orthodoxy all day long on Sundays. But I am saying this model that we have embraced from the Old Testament no longer applies here. That this right here frees us from the confines of that law. And it opens us up to be able to, where where the spirit of Christ is, there is liberty. Not licentiousness. Love will cause people to die to their licentiousness. We don't need laws to do it. We need Christ to do it. And when he is in our hearts, we move forward. So I wanted to share that concept with you, because I think it bears some weight and deserves some thought. If you have differences, and you don't believe it, and you think that it's, uh, falla- it's fallacious, you think it's uh, a fail, call, and right, and we'll cover it, and we'll go from there. Okay, let's open up the phone lines. I need two podiums, not one. 801 801- 590 801-590-8413. Last week, we had a caller who was a Catholic, and he uh, was proposing that Catholicism is the only way and talking about the importance of Catholicism. He sent me an email this afternoon, and it said, when are you going to admit that you're a false teacher? And uh, I'll admit it right now. I'm a false teacher. Uh, and let me tell you something. Anybody on this earth who is teaching is a false teacher. We see through a glass darkly. We're doing our best, but we all teach things incorrectly. I don't care who you are. R.C. Sproul, top of the game, what's that Calvinist guy's name, Uh, whoever you are, we are all false teachers if you're defining false teacher by someone who doesn't teach things perfectly. So we can also get away from that little idea too. We're gonna start passing names around. He's a false teacher. Look in the freaking mirror because we all have things improperly and we all teach things we believe are true where we could be off. Spirit of love guides us through to have patience and long suffering with each other and not to point a finger of false teacher at people who are trying their best. Next week, uh, speaking of false teachers, not James White. James White is not a false teacher, but he is coming to to confront me, who he believes is a false teacher, Uh, about a number of different things, but specifically on the idea, the doctrine, creedal Trinitarianism, and how I just don't, I don't say, I just reject it, I just say it just doesn't make complete sense to me, and so I see it a little bit differently, and when I say I see it a little bit differently, that has caused the wolves to come out, you know, Christians eat their own. And so uh, it's caused the wolves to come out and devour and call heretic and apostate and everything. So James is going to come and he's going to share his insights and what he has to say. It's going to be a three-hour meeting beginning at 8 o'clock, and it go to 11. James White has debated John Dominic Crossan. He's debated Bart Ehrman. He's debated uh, many, many, many uh, very astute Thinkers, and when he comes next Tuesday, he is going to be debating the least astute of all he's ever debated. So uh, just understand don't come expecting some heroic stance on my part. I do not have any of the skills that he has in terms of this is what he does for a living. I mean, he's done it for decades. He's a PhD, he knows the Greek backward. I just have what I see in Scripture and I stand by it. So that's what you're going to see. But come here uh, live if you're in Utah and you can be part of the studio audience. It's going to be very full or uh, you can just tune in and watch live. And we're also going to take questions. Mark Bazant's going to be officiating and uh, making sure everything is going right. We have Addy in Texas on line one and we have David in Boston on line two. So let's go to Addy. Addy, you're on Heart of the Matter.
2: Um, hi, Sean. Um, I just, first of all, want to say I love your show um, so much, um, but uh, my boyfriend is LDS and a while ago I went on the Mormon website and I asked for a Book of Mormon and the missionaries came to me and dropped it off and also explained to me their gospel, quote unquote, and um, uh, now apparently they know my boyfriend's family and went to his house telling that I requested a book of Mormon, and they all, all of his family wants to come talk to me about Mormonism now, and I really don't know what to do, so I wanted to ask.
0: So, Addie, are you a, uh, a believer? Are you a Christian?
2: Yes, 100%. Like, a couple weeks ago, I was actually born again.
0: Praise God. You're getting an applause over here, Addy. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Listen, you know, I would just, uh, you know, just be direct. And I would just take your family. I'd just make some phone calls or send texts and just say, I love you guys. And remember, that's how you win people over uh, from Mormonism better, is just to say, I love you guys so much. You're so important to me as family. I want to always hang out with you. But just ordered the Book of Mormon out of out of curiosity, and I appreciate your prayers. And and uh, you know, I'm not interested in becoming a, a Latter Day Saint, and I'm just interested in and and they'll probably back off if you do that.
2: Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, I also had one more little side note. My boyfriend really, really, really believes in his patriarchal blessing, like a lot, and I just I just know that you know they're pretty much but in a, um, they're kind of pretty much the same.
0: They're kind of like a horoscope. So I
2: don't, like what?
0: They're kind of like a horoscope. They speak in general terms.
2: Yeah, yeah that's why I tried to explain to him, but he's like so set on that he knows it's true. Yeah. Even though it says he's going to marry a girl in the temple and I'm never going to go to the temple.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Addy, uh, Beliefs are far stronger than facts. And so you're dealing with a man who has certain beliefs. Uh, I would gently and kindly continue to share Jesus with him. Do a switch off with him. People freak out when I say something like this. But you go to the LDS ward one week and then take him to a reasonable Christian church, not snake handlers or slain in the spirit church. But uh, just take him to a reasonable church and just go back and forth. And, and, and here's the thing, my sister, you've got to trust God is going to do His work. You're not going to convince Him or convert Him. It's got to be God. So you do more praying and trusting and relying on God to lead Him, and He'll do it. It may take 20 years. It may take five. It may take one. It might happen next week. But you trust God in this, and He'll bring Him out, I believe, eventually.
2: Thank you so much. I
0: believe that, too, and I've been praying every day, and yeah, so thank you. Hey, listen, Addie, stay on the line, yes. and uh, Wendy, if she hasn't gotten into the communion wine, will pick up the phone, and she'll take your name, and we'll send you a couple books. Uh, a to Z, will, it's a compendium that compare, I think, uh, compares uh, like 56 topics of what Christianity teaches versus Mormonism, and it'll be really beneficial to you.
2: Thank you so much, Sean. You're That's welcome, really my sister. Amazing. I
0: was going to order the book. No, you just hold on and we'll get it out to you. Derek, we'll get it out to you in the mail.
2: OK, thank you.
0: OK, God bless. Bye bye. We're going to uh, David in Boston. David? David in Boston is not there. We're going to line three. Who's this? I think we're having the phone issue again. Uh, line three is not there. Let's try four. It'll, it'll be really beneficial for you.
3: That's
4: a wonderful thank you. voice.
0: Are you there? Are you there? Hey, you need to turn me off. I I did. All right, okay. you're, you're um, on you're on the air, brother.
3: Okay, thank you. I hey, appreciate your <laughs> insights tonight That's fantastic I love how the Spirit works in your life. It's awesome.
0: I pray it's, I pray um, it's correct, brother. When when I read
3: I read Second Corinthians five twenty and I see the reconciliation that God has given His people. Uh, the the Spirit of re, re, reconciliation. How can anybody miss that in the
0: Bible? I just I don't I don't know. I think that it's. I don't feel, Go ahead,
3: can you hear me better now?
0: I can hear you really well,
3: okay, yeah, I mean I read the the spirit of reconciliation and and I look at that and I know you we've we've done a few shows on it, and it's so obvious that uh, you know God came and reconciled us through his son, so he did have the victory over Satan and to all of them I mean it's obvious. Uh, If you read it, you can see that. Now, if we put our faith and trust in him, then we're obviously saying that he had the victory. And if he's had the victory over death and hell, and we now are born spiritually again, how can we die again, and how can we fall back in, of course, uh, fall back into the sin nature, like everybody, I know our sin, we have sinful, uh, the flesh is sinful, but if you read that, you see that you've been born again. You're justified through Christ. That's the victory. Am I, am I off base here?
0: No, I agree with you. I just think what happens is there are so many other passages that were speaking to those people in that day, at that time, uh, because they're, the apostles are telling them, look, the end's coming. Jerusalem's going to get wiped out, like Jesus said in Matthew 24. So they were teaching them to be a I, certain way, I, and I just think we get caught up in that. Uh, what is this Curtis? Yeah. No, it's Charlie. Oh, Char- oh I'm sorry, Charlie. Uh, but you know what, Charlie, uh, What two passages that amaze me is the one that says, uh, God, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember where they are, that God would have all be saved. He says that, but that is not his imperative will in the Greek. That is that he desires that all would be saved. It's his desire, but sure. all wouldn't be. But Charlie, later sure. he says, uh, that he would not have any be lost and that in the Greek is his imperative will. That he's, he's None are going to be lost. He makes that clear. And so uh, to me, I think you're right. The victory's had. And I put that much faith and trust in, in uh, Christ Jesus.
3: Uh, it, absolutely. A simple word study in the Greek it seems like of the word hell and Gehenna, a simple word study, you start to come to grips with the terms that it has been, the victory has been given. Um,
0: Yeah.
3: And that led me on the road to preterism. And by the way, tonight was the first time I've ever heard the word fulfilled believers who are fulfilled prophecies. Oh, That's the first time I've ever heard that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I like it better than preterist.
3: I'll let you go, Sean, and thanks again for your... Ministry. We love you, brother.
0: Love you, Charlie. Thanks, man. We have Curtis uh, from a question mark location. Mapleton. Curtis, you're on the air. You need, to, you need to explain
5: which teachings you're teaching that are false, and you need to walk those back and correct
0: yourself. Well, the, the, here's the problem with that, Curtis, is I don't know the ones I'm teaching that are false. If I did, I would You're try to... You're teaching that ordinances are no longer? That's in Malachi 3. That's set in the future. That's one right there. You're teaching that tithing is not a thing. That's in Malachi 3. All right, Curtis. Malachi 3. You've given me two passages from the Old Testament. Why are you quoting the Old Testament when it comes to tithing? That chapter, it doesn't matter that it's in the Old Testament. The chapter is set in
5: the future. The fact that it was written beforehand doesn't matter. It's prophecy.
0: What in the world is tithing and ordinances doing in our future? It's not a thing. Will a man rob God, but you have robbed me, you say, and where have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? Bring me your tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will not pour out by the window... That I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you? That is not a futuristic stance. It was Malachi talking to the people right then and there. So where do you get You your... think? You're really going to try and set this chapter in, in the past? You're really going to try that? It's in Malachi. He was talking to them. I will dissect this chapter for you and prove to you it's in the future. What do you mean? What, you mean it's a prophecy? I will put it online, too. Yeah, it's a prophecy. Okay, you put it online, Curtis. And I'll charge in and read it. And when I see that I have made a mistake, and I honest to, with, with God as my witness, if Next I That chapter had... is set in the future. Just read it. Okay. I'll read it. I don't agree with you. I thought I had read it. But I'll check... We're going to come to an agreement. Trust me. I'll keep emailing you until you walk it back you are way out of line. All right, brother. Uh, Can I ask you something, uh, Curtis? Curtis? Yes. You talk about ordinances, and you talk about tithing, your LDS. You talk about the temple. You talk about all this stuff. What has Jesus done for you?
5: You're just changing the subject, Sean.
0: <laughs> I, can't win. I can't win with Curtis. I, I I already admitted to you that I will look at your study of Malachi and I'll admit that it's a futuristic prophecy. Sean, a fourth grader could tell that that you, chapter is set in the future. Okay, I'll look at it. I'll see if I'm wrong. Now, I've admitted to that, Curtis. Now, just answer my question. What does Jesus really mean to you if you've got to do all these ordinances and tithe pain and Sabbath day and... Temple, what does Jesus really do for you?
5: He must have gathered himself a house of order because there's some things we got to do.
0: All right, and so he's just what he's done is he's made repentance possible for you, but you have to earn your salvation by keeping those ordinances properly and correctly. Would that be correct, my brother?
5: We don't earn our salvation.
0: Okay, so you don't earn your salvation. What are you doing by obeying the ordinances and the, and the, the ordinances? What are, you, what are you earning by that, Curtis? It's just like if you buy a can of, of beef stew
5: for the evening. You know, you already bought it. You don't have to do anything. It's there for you to eat. Okay. You don't have to do anything else. You already bought it. It's already done. You don't have to do anything but eat it, except you have to open the can, and you have to heat it up if you want to eat it hot.
0: Okay. So what, it's the
5: same thing here, you know, okay, he's, okay. Now, he, he loves it, he loves everybody, he's, he's already saved everybody, he's already done it, okay. and every they'll, they'll go to heaven, except the ones that just will reject him, okay. those are the only ones that aren't going to heaven.
0: Okay, so what you're saying then, I think you and I might agree on this, Curtis, that I do believe that someone who, who hasn't gone and bought the stew, but someone who opens their door and the stew is there... They do take it, and they do open it, and they heat it up. And I do believe completely, I agree with you, that anyone who calls Jesus Lord and loves him from their heart is going to try to follow him. I believe that. So we agree on that. Unfortunately, your faith does not believe on that, Curtis.
5: I am not suggesting that my faith does. I'm just telling you what the doctrine is. It's in Malachi three. You're trying to pretend the fiction that tithing is not necessary, that it, that there was no commandment for tithing, or whatever you want to call it. Okay. And that's just incorrect. It's false doctrine.
0: Okay. You're trying
5: to say that you're trying to say that the sacrament does not matter. Yeah. It does matter.
0: Yeah. I, I, Jesus said, "Take it until I come," but. Uh, that's in Corinthians by Paul, but that's okay. Look, if you want to take the sacrament and you want to pay tithes and you want to do that, I I, I, I say do that to your heart's content. I disbelieve that Malachi doesn't apply in that way and I believe that uh, tithing or giving should be from the heart and that there's not a percentage that is mandated for people to pay. You and I disagree on that, Curtis, but I give you that right to participate in those things. I don't say you're evil or a devil. Uh, you believe in Christ as the as the one who's given you salvation. Fine. Why why are you so heated that I am saying that I don't believe tithing is necessary or 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 the other ordinances? Why are you so heated on this? Because it's priestcraft to preach priest that is with the, that's false. It's priestcraft. A word, evil. a word created by Bruce Armacost, but thank you. Uh, it's priestcraft, okay? And what is priest? What? Is, what am I doing with this priestcraft? How am I? How am I practicing it, Curtis? For example, you say tithing.
5: It, you know, you don't have to pay tithing. I don't know what your words are. I can't remember them for the quote. But you're basically saying tithing's not a thing. You don't have to pay tithing. And You don't. You don't, you don't have to pay tithing. But the Savior has has required it. You don't have to pay it, but he has required
0: it. The Savior and you're ha- trying to
5: act like he hasn't. He has-, he has, because it's in the future.
0: Okay, well, you can go that way. I disagree with you completely. And I then think you're, you're throwing out the Bible that you're telling us who we should have allegiance to. I'm not throwing out the Bible, Curtis. You're being unreasonable. I, I am not throwing it out. I Why just- don't you open up Malachi 3 right now and read it. Read what the words are. Uh, you can read the words. I got to look at the context to give your argument justice. I'm not just going to read the passage. Anyone can do that. I think go ahead, most... go ahead and start with verse one, then. Because I'm not... like six through six through nine is the is the juicy part. <laughs> My brother, I, I just wanted to just tell you, if tithing's on your heart and you think it's important, you could be on the show. You could sit here with me and you could preach that. And I would say. Curtis has the right to believe that. I don't believe it. I think you're mistaken on what Malachi is saying there. And I think that the New Testament does not have Jesus say, you must pay tithing. And so we have a difference. The question is, in my opinion, Curtis, what do we do with our differences?
5: You just stepped right off the track from the Bible, Sean. You just, you just threw away a
0: part of the Bible. You just ignored it. I, I think that's been fulfilled, Curtis. And anyway, listen... Thank you so much for calling. We're going to move on now. You present your paper. I'll read it, and then I'll come back with you and tell you what I think. Is that okay? No, I'll just keep emailing you. Don't please don't keep emailing me. My daughter has to read those. We were then we'll have a written record. We're two thousand emails behind. Don't email us. All right. Hey, you know, uh, tune in next week. James White's going to be here and and maybe you'll enjoy that. All right? All right? Right, what you said. Okay, see you later. I love you. Uh I love you. Uh huh. I do. You don't you don't want to comment on that? You won't say you love me back?
5: I've I've never said anything about it, one way or the other. I love you.
0: All right, cool. <laughs> Thanks, Curtis. I'll talk to you. There's nothing better than telling a man you love them. <laughs> Especially a man who's talking about eating beef stew out of the can. <laughs> He's like, This is getting too homosexual for me. <laughs> Well, let's keep praying for Curtis and see what happens with him. And uh, next week, we're going to have Brother James White as a reminder. Get here earlier if you want to be in the—oh, uh, wait, we have Kathy from campus. Let's quickly take this. Kathy, you're on the air.
4: Hi, Sean. Hi. I just wanted to, I just wanted to ask you a question. Yes. I haven't under, understood it. Why, why do we call Christ the, uh, the second Adam? I, I just don't understand why we do that.
0: Well, I think in context of what the New Testament is telling us is that the first Adam blew it, you know, and he lost the title deed to the world, as we say. And, uh, right. and then the second Adam, Christ, came and he restored that. He brought back everything into the paradisical state, maybe you could say, in terms of spiritual the first one was physical. The second one is spiritual. And that's why I'm not big on brick-and-mortar churches. I think that the kingdom is in our hearts by Christ. It's a spiritual community. And so he renewed everything on, on God's behalf for us that Adam messed up. And, and he reversed it all. And I think that's why he's called the second Adam or the last Adam.
4: Okay, I, I get that. I guess where it was confusing me in my mind was from when I was in that polygamous group. yeah. And and they taught us how uh, Adam was our God and the only God with whom we ever have anything to do. So when, and then I'm getting from John that, that the Word is, is God and the Word was with us, you know, and yeah. dwelt among us. And then I'm saying, then he's called Adam. And so it just was kind of boggling my mind just a little. So, yeah,
0: well, that's heavy because of Brigham Young and him introducing that whole idea of the Adam God
4: Right. Theory,
0: but you're beyond that one it, it's really just a it's another title it's another type it's another thing he did amongst the hundreds of titles he has. Second Adam is just one of the many
4: oh, okay, yeah well, I just wanted to clear that up in my brain so I could uh, make sense of it you know but i'm learning I'm learning so much that it's absolutely amazing to me so.
0: Praise God, my sister. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. For
4: what you do. I just praise God all the time.
0: Oh, thanks, Kathy. Anyway, thank
4: you. See you later. Appreciate you so much. Bye-bye. And I love Mallory's music. To me, it's just gorgeous.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much. I'll tell her. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. Next week, uh, James White right here. And remember tonight at 12 midnight, Steve Utley's full album. Uh, coming out. You want to take advantage of that. If you enjoy that type of music, I certainly do. And we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Good job, audience.